A few more notes before we get into the show. Would really appreciate a rate and review five stars. Even if you don't want to write a review, you know, you don't want to hit type words, that's fine. Scroll down, just hit five stars while you're listening to this podcast. Goes a long way in helping me keep it free. Additionally, drafters.com. You will hear me mention drafters.com a bunch. I'm beginning to love this platform. I've been doing a ton of NFL best balls and a ton of PGA contests on their app. It's very smooth. Love it. Reminds me of a former app that was bought out and no longer exists that I really used to love. But anyway, if you want to play in these PGA tier contests or this NFL best ball championship that they have going on over there, the best way to do it to start out is to use the promo code PAT at deposit and you will get 50% added to your first initial deposit. So if you deposit $100, they're going to give you 100 and 50 to play with. Can't beat that. All right, now let's get into the show. You are listening to The Riding NFL DFS Podcast with Pat James. Happy FedEx St. Jude Week, everyone, and Barracuda Week. Can't lie, though. My mind is on the PGA Championship. It's going to be very exciting to finally have a major in the year 2020. Next week out in San Fran, I'm pumped about that. But we have to quickly recap. The 3M Open was pretty good to us. Let's go. I mean, let's talk about what went wrong first. Because, you know, things are always going to go wrong. Um, you know, Russell Henley I had a lot of on DraftKings, didn't work out. Chesson Hadley, Charlie Hoffman, Lucas Glover, Chase uh, Seifert. Those were um, guys that were pretty heavily in my player pool that just didn't work out. And then, I mean, at the top of the leaderboard, who would have thought five of the six guys uh, would have been worthless at the top of the leaderboard? Um, you know, we faded Brooks, Bubba, and Fleetwood, which was huge, um, but... I also had some of DJ and Paul Casey, which obviously did not work out. Um, Finau was also was part of my player pool, right? So I kind of split those half and half. Fade Brooks, Bubba Fleetwood was on DJ Casey and Tony Finau. So at least Tony Finau worked out for us. Outrights weren't great. Harris English had a, an outside shot on the last day. But now for the good. We hit another first-round leader, Richie Warinsky. So to be honest, you know, some of the things that I got wrong really didn't even hurt because when you are already vastly profitable on Thursday at 7 p.m., the rest of the week just goes smooth no matter what happens. But shout out to Richie Warinsky, looking like a dad with those khakis on and the sports sunglasses. Looks like every Little League coach I ever saw in 1997. But um, kudos to him. Uh, I actually kind of wanted to see him seal the deal on Sunday, uh, given the fact that he, you know, hit us that first round leader on Thursday, was hoping he caught some of that uh, piece of that W there. But um, happy for Michael Thompson as well. Give him two years of exemption. Some of these guys at the bottom, you know, these guys that are ranked like from one, from one hundred to two hundred on the tour, you know, their their livelihood is at stake every time they tee it up because they they aren't guaranteed the next season. So. Nice to see that he's now exempt for two years and will be on the tour. He was emotional. Pretty cool to see. Um, I, I I did get a, a few DMs saying, 
Um, like when I tweeted out that we cashed the Warinsky ticket, um, you don't tweet out your card, so how do people know what you're playing? Well, I say it on this podcast, and I don't even care. Here's the thing. I'm just guessing, but I would say if I if people knew that I was tweeting out my betting card on Wednesday night, they wouldn't even listen to the podcast. They would just wait for that card to hit my Twitter feed, and that would be the end of it, right? So basically, I just want, you know, a click, a download, a listen. I don't care if you fast forward all the way to the last five minutes when I recap everything I said and just give you the card. You don't have to listen all 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever, but I would like a download and a listen, please. So anyways, that is going to be our third first round leader. And we also have two outrights since the restart. So in seven tournaments, three first round leaders, two outrights is pretty solid. We are well on our way to a profitable PGA DFS season. We also hit some top 20. So in remember I said the same bucket of first round leaders, right? Those guys that I think are going to pop on Thursday are also going to be our top 10 and top 20 bets. So that worked out very well again. Warwinski, Gooch, Homa. I all had top 20 bets on. They cashed. Hoffman, Seifert, and Chesson Hadley obviously did not. But I'll take three out of six top 20s any day of the week. Uh, back to round four showdown as well. Last week, I kind of laid out a strategy for you guys and said that I think that some of the people that are playing uh, don't necessarily comprehend or don't have their finger on the pulse of how to exactly create these round four showdown lineups and build in that leaderboard equity equity because the first three rounds there is none right it's just literally scoring it's eagles it's birdies and that's how you win but given that you know five six seven guys start the tournament at a distinct advantage with points from already being on the leaderboard and given that you know most of those guys are going to end up at the top of the leaderboard on sunday it makes creating a player pool a lot easier, right? So I just talked about the cascade approach where um, you, whether you're generating lineups on a website or you're hand-making them yourself, you just use that cascade approach to make sure that you include two or three of the top five guys, you know, and then from there, maybe another one or two of the top 10, and then sprinkle in a guy or two that you can think that you think can make a run. I see way too many lineups with, you know, six guys that have virtually no shot of finishing near the top of the leaderboard. Um, You know, every guy in the roster is, you know, started at 30th or lower or something of that nature. But, you know, a lot of times it's, it's expensive guys because they're, they're good golfers, but that tech, that really isn't the strategy when, you're playing round four showdown got some dms about that as well saying that they people kind of took that approach this week um stuffing in most of the guys in the top five eight and then you know taking some shots on a few other guys and it worked out this week though to be honest was a bit different than most other weeks the top of the leaderboard was jammed there was like 20 guys within four strokes of each other on sunday it definitely works better when, um, like last week, John Rahm was three or four strokes ahead of everyone on Sunday, and he was just a lock button, um, and that was an advantage because not everybody locked him in. And then you had a couple guys that were you know, somewhat close to him, and you lock uh, most of those guys into every lineup, and then you go from there. Last week was a little bit dif- difficult because, number one, 
it was a fairly easy course, so a lot of guys could go low and kind of sneak into the top of the leaderboard. And that log jam at the top just made it a little bit more difficult. Um, you had to like kind of widen your player pool to include all the guys that were two, three, four, five strokes off the lead. So it was a little bit more difficult. But um, you'll see when you know the leaderboard is a little bit less crunched together and the course is a little bit more difficult, it's a lot easier to, to profit in showdown. All right, let's take a look at the course for FedEx St. Jude. It's a WGC for the second year. So what that means is it's an invitational. Um, there are certain standards that you have to meet, certain prerequisites to get in the field. It's a very small field, no cut event. So all of the players that start on Thursday will play four rounds unless you know they withdraw with an injury or what, or what have you, but there is no cut. So four rounds changes the strategy a little bit, and we will... Um, talk about that, but they are playing at TPC Southwind. Now, this tournament used to be the Bridgestone. So if you look at tournament history, you're not going to get an accurate depiction of how these players played at TPC Southwind. So if you're looking for course history, I would um, obviously search up TPC Southwind and how these players have done at that course. Um, before last year, it was sandwiched between the Memorial and the U.S. Open, and then last year it was played immediately after the Open Championships. So the field is a lot stronger um, this year, for sure. Um, similar to last year, but before that, you know, uh, I mean, TPC Southland has been played forever on the PGA Tour, and you know, in previous years the field was not as strong. So it is a long par seventy, right? Seventy two hundred yards is not incredibly long, but for a par 70, it is. It's an approach course, like all of them, but this one in particular approach pops a little bit more, as does around the green. So greens and regulation are a little bit harder to come by at TPC Southwind. Um, so what happens is if you're dialed in and you're stuffing it close all week, that's great. You're going to go low. But if you're not, you do have to be pretty solid around the green to get up and down, right? So, you know, some courses... The greens are massive and, you know, most guys are hitting them even if it is, um, you know, even if they do leave themselves 30 footers or 40 footers, they're still on the green. This course, the, the gers are a little bit uh, harder to come by. So you want guys that are great on approach. And if not, you want to uh, make sure that they are at least very good around the greens to get up and down. Okay, let's take a look at the DraftKings pricing and who I will be using and potentially fading in my player pool. So the top range here is actually very difficult, uh, if you ask me. It's interesting because guys like Dustin and Brooks, who really haven't played well um, over the course of the last few weeks, are down in the low nines, which... Um, you know, it's not surprising, but, it you know, there's still a little bit of shock when you see, um, you know, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Daniel Berger, Tyrell Hatton priced above Brooks and Dustin. So really we're talking about above 10K, Rom, Rory, Bryson, JT, and Patrick Cantlay. So right off the bat, I am going to X out Patrick Cantlay. In this model that I created, he just doesn't rank out well. And to be honest, I think um, 
you know, you just have to take a stand at the top. And my favorite two at the top are Justin and Rory. For a few reasons, they are both um, very, very good on par 70 courses. And that's huge, right? Because there are fewer par 5s. There, there are different reasons as to why that's the case. So um, when you have a long par 70 like this, the long irons are going to come into play. JT absolutely dominates with the long irons. And Rory is Rory's top 10 as well from 175 to 200 on approach. So that's something that I am going to be weighting fairly heavily. Um, and if we look at, you know, the things that went into my model this week, obviously approach and off the tee, um, birdie or betters gained, opportunities gained, all went in. I actually added good drives gained too because this course you have to be long and accurate. For the most part, it definitely helps for that to be the case. So fading Bryson, um, not necessarily fading him, but um, having less of him than Rory and JT. I'm probably going to fade Rom altogether and fade Cantley altogether and be pretty heavy on Rory and JT and then have a sprinkling of Bryson because if Bryson can hit the ball, you know, like he was uh, in certain courses that he's played after the restart when he's been pounding the ball, he hasn't necessarily been accurate, If, but also he has been, though. There's been rounds where he's hit it 350 yards right down the middle of the fairway. So if it's that type of week for him, he's definitely going to have a huge advantage. So now that I'm talking through this, I think I'm, I'll probably elevate Bryson a little bit there and and have him maybe as much as Rory and JT, but definitely a full fade on um, Rom and Cantley. And you, like I said, you have to take a stand somewhere. If you just, if you create 20 lineups and you have, you know, everybody in two lineups, you're just not going to win that way. So if Rom and Cantley come one, two, I'm absolutely going to get dominated uh, this week. But if they, if they are the ones that falter out of this top group, then I should be in good shape. Webb, par 70, uh, he's also someone that plays very well on par 70 courses. He has been solid on approach since the restart. He's really, uh, birdies are better gain. He's up there, top 10. His opportunity gain is great. Um, he's just a, a really good ball striker, period. And in addition to all that, he is a Bermuda specialist. That is his preferred green of choice. And he ranks out first in strokes game putting on Bermuda, so Webb will be in the, in the player pool as well as Xander. Um, I think the no-cut event helps Xander. You know, he's since the restart, he's kind of had like one poor round on Thursday or Friday that is, you know, basically just dug a grave that he couldn't get out of. Um, he's made the cut despite that bad round and then like stormed back to, you know, be top 10, top 15 on the leaderboard come Sunday. This is anecdotal, but I think, you know, the pressure of knowing you're going to be around for four days might be good for Xander, and he could potentially um, avoid one of those blow-up days. Terrell Hatton. I think we can get some leverage on the field with Hatton here. Um, people are going to gravitate to Webb and Xander and then Morikawa and Hovland under him. But, man, Hatton has played just as well as those guys. He is top 10 in the desired proximity ranges. He's just someone that goes overlooked, probably because he's not a USA guy and hasn't had a ton of success. But he already has a win this year. 
Um, so, and if you look at his stats, man, he's second in par four scoring. He's top 15 on par 70 courses, and his approaches have been there. So I like Hatton. Um, the person that I might be using Hatton over is Daniel Berger, um, who has also played great, but you know, you got to take a stand somewhere. So I think Hatton over Berger is decent leverage. And then it's tough because I do like Morikawa and Hovland. So, and also Brooks too from that range and Tony Finau. So this is really, this is a tough range because there's all class players and you kind of have difficulty fading or at least not using a ton of some of them. So here's in order my favorite 9K guys. So Vic Hovland always has a special place in my heart. Um, Him and Morikawa will probably be the guys that I use the most from the 9K range. Their stats are just, you know, they rate out very well. Um, One of the the great things about Hovland is, you know, he's number one in approach, period. Like he he has just been stuffing the ball, um, throwing darts, um, but what, what he struggled at before the restart was really around the green. Um, he was having a difficult time getting up and down if he missed the green. But he was in this field, he was 70th in, in the last 50 rounds around the green. But since the restart, he's actually uh, improved his around the green game tremendously. He ranks 29th in, in strokes gained around the green since the restart. So, I mean, I have no issues with Hovland's around the green game at this point. He is fifth in the desired proximity range and you know just green screens right across for Hovland statistically always rates out high he comes out third in this model Morikawa comes out fourth Um, the only thing that's uh, worrisome about Morikawa is he has typically struggled on uh, Bermuda greens but I I think that's something that we don't necessarily have to put a ton of stock into especially since these greens are short so if he's hitting them He's probably going to have an opportunity uh, to drop in birdies and eagles. From there, I like Webb, Alexander, and then I'll have a little bit of Hatton and a little bit of Brooks and Finau. But most of my exposure in that 9K range will be Hovland, Morikawa, and Webb. I didn't touch on Matthew Fitzpatrick, uh, but he is someone that I won't have much of. He's, I feel like, 9K for Matthew Fitzpatrick. Like, he's priced above Hideki, Patrick Reed, Tommy, Gary Woodland. I mean, that's fairly egregious if you ask me. Um, I think Hideki is uh, a nice pivot here in this top range because I think Tommy Fleetwood, Patrick Reed, Gary Woodland will probably see a lot of ownership. I like those guys. I like Woodland. I like Patrick Reed. Um, Probably not going to have much of Tommy Fleetwood, but I think Hideki is a a nice play here at this high 8K range. Um, If you need someone with that price savings, Abraham Answer rates out uh, pretty well. Again, uh, 16th in this model, and man, he just pops statistically, so I'll go back to him in that mid-8K range. Billy Horschel has traditionally played TPC Southwind pretty well. Um, I I will, it pains me, but I don't want any Ricky. I don't want any Jason Day. Uh, Jordan Spieth rates out almost last in this model, and that's saying something because there are some characters here at the bottom that um, rate out better than Jordan Spieth. Um, Matthew Wolf 
is an interesting, an interesting, I was looking at actually putting him on the betting card because he's like 90 to one. But after lining him up with this course, um, he's not the best around the green player. Um, his long irons aren't the best either. So I think I'm going to have to take a pass on Matthew Wolf. I'll have a little bit of Sergio instead. I'm going to go back to Paul Casey. He rates out 11th. His, his stats all pop here as well. He's also someone who isn't great around the green, but his long irons are great. Um, he plays par 70s really well also, and his approaches have been dialed. Mark Leishman. Why can't I quit Mark Leishman either? I mean, Leishman has been great also on approach. He just has, you know, some... Leishman's issue is his driver. Sometimes his driver just goes absolutely wayward in a round and it costs him. But he strikes the long irons well. He is a decent par 70s player. Um, just hit, has been uh, awesome on approach. And I think that uh, he's at 7,700, he's a solid play as well. Henrik Stenson making his first start. Potentially low owned, I don't know. Um, but... The Iceman it will always be in my player pool if he is 7,600. Don't necessarily know his health or what he's been doing uh, for the last four months, but I'll take a shot. Not going to be heavily owned, but definitely in my player pool. Sungjae and Joaquin Neiman will probably be my most owned, and Corey Connors from this range. Um, Neiman, stats are insane aside from putting. Basically, so if he can start putting, there's going to be a round where the putter clicks, just like Hovland. Him and Hovland are not the same guy, but you know they're having the same issue. They are they are playing so well, they just can't get the birdies to fall, and it, it's it's coming. Connors though, is you know just lights out uh, on on approach too. So if you can see the trend here, I'm basically taking. All guys that I think um, are going to have a, a good greens and regulation, right? Um, and one of the things to look at there is opportunities gained. Because opportunities gained means that they, are, they, they put the ball within 15 feet of the hole. So if you want to take a look at who the best players here, we'll sidetrack for a minute and take a look at who the best players are. Opportunities gained, right? So harder to hit greens and regulation you want guys that are putting it close um, because a, a 10-footer, you know, throwing a dart to 10 feet is a lot different than playing a course that has, you know, semi-large greens and, you know, hitting the front or the back of the green when even though it's the pin is still 40 feet away. So Hovland, JT, Rory, Xander, Hideki, Colin Morikawa, DJ, Paul Casey, and then you see some of the guys we talked about. Joaquin Neiman is ninth in opportunities gained. And Corey Connors is 12th in opportunities gained. That These are obviously fantasy national stats. So that's why I think those guys will be um, pretty heavy in my player pool, especially on a course where, you know, greens are a little bit harder to come by. All right, let's get back to the bottom of the 7K and the 6s. So at this small field, it's going to be a bit easier, to be honest, to go stars and scrubs. Just because um, with the small field and most of the players in the field being pretty decent players, um, you're going to have, you know, guys like Phil Mickelson is 6,600. Um, 
Burn Weisberger is 6,500. Jason Kolkrak is 6,300. Keegan is 6,300. Shane Lowry, you know, major winner Shane Lowry is 6,600. Um, Ches Reeby, Ryan Palmer, guys that have been really dialed in um, in terms of form. You know, I think it's easier to stomach a lineup with JT and Rory, both like in the 10Ks, then that means you're going to have to play some of these lower 7K guys, and that's fine because it's guys like Shane Lowry, Phil Mickelson, Ches Reeve, um, you know, Eric Van Ruin, who didn't really have a great showing last week, but he's down here and he pops a little bit. Bubba's 7,100. So these guys that, and I'm not necessarily talking guys that I'm playing, but, you know, the names of these guys in the low seven, high sixes are are palatable, right? You're not playing guys like Chesson Hadley and Hudson Swafford this week in the 6Ks. You're playing, you know, pretty good players in in the 6K range. So I think Stars and Scrubs is definitely a decent approach this week. But so is balanced because you can make a lineup of, you know, all 8K guys that is outstanding, right? You can go Hideki, Patrick Reed, Gary Woodland, Paul Casey, Henrik Stenson, and you wouldn't be surprised if that was the top of the leaderboard as well. So you could really go any route this week. Um, as far as the 6K guys that I am leaning towards, I forgot to mention Max Homa and Hadwin in that 7K range. Guys that I think are going to go a little bit under own, right? I think, you know, with Bubba sitting right there, with Kevin Kisner sitting right there, I think I don't think people are going to gravitate towards Max Homa, despite the success that he has had as of late. And I think he's, you know, been playing as well as anybody I think he could he could you know, pop here um, I think um, pivoting from Hadwin to Homa is is pretty smart there so in the 6ks Streelman um, ever since I, I dogged on him he's just been playing lights out so I'll probably have a little bit of Streelman I'll go back to Van Ruling because I think there'll be leverage there to be had everybody had him last week and got absolutely burned so I don't mind Van Ruin there Palmer and Reavy. Reavy dominates uh, off the tee. Um, his good drives gain. And he's not a, he doesn't crush the ball, but he's always going to be in play, always going to give himself a shot. And he plays par 70 courses really well. Uh, my only issue with Reavy is, is that driving distance, which may put him at a little bit of an advantage on a longer course, disadvantage on a longer course. Um, but I'm willing to take a shot because, number one, He's, he's very good around the greens, and um, his proximity ranges are, you know, the, the required proximity ranges, which is 150 to 200. That's two buckets there, but he's absolutely lights out from those two ranges. So I really don't think that he's going to have an issue um, seeing a lot of birdie looks this week. Brendan Todd. The Todd Father. Um, I actually went to bat for the Todd Father two weeks ago, said that he popped statistically and he was going to get it done, and he finished T20, I want to say, maybe T18, something of that nature, two or three weeks ago. So back to the Todd Father. He's a guy that probably, if he does well, if he comes, I mean, at 6,600, if he comes inside the top 20, you're looking great there. Shane Lowry, like I mentioned, um, can always pop, and he is someone who's good on par 70s as well and great around the green. So he's definitely going to have opportunities to um, avoid bogeys, which is which could be big this week. And then from that under 6,500 range, I have four guys. Kokrak, you know, 
He just gains tons of strokes off the tee, plays par 70s well. Uh, just a generally a good ball striker. So Kolkrak, uh, 6,300. I mean, you can't go wrong there. Same thing with Keegan. He's been pretty good on approach. Just just an abysmal putter. Um, so, you know, there's rounds where he can get the putter going. But the fact that he's going to be he's going to be around for all four rounds is something that I'm definitely interested makes me interested in key and you know the putter could let him down on Thursday or Friday but he's still going to play Saturday and Sunday and have a chance at those at those birdies Cameron Champ another guy that gains a ton of strokes off the tee hasn't been great on approach but if you do need a guy at 62 or below I like him and Hao Tong Lee Hao Tong rates out first in that 175 to 200 approach bucket. So I think he could have some success. He's a guy who was all over two weeks ago, and he played an unbelievable first round, but kind of faded and ended up missing the cut. But he was like at the top, near the top of the leaderboard um, on Thursday. I believe it was at the workday or the memorial, one of those. So let's get into the betting card I'll start with top 20s or top 10s, however you guys like to bet them. Um, if, you, if you're a little bit more risk-averse, top 20. If not, top 10 or both. So I'm not going to... I'm, I'm just going to basically focus on some of those guys, you know, at the bottom of the salary tier that I like, that I think could pop and potentially sneak into the top 10 or top 20 there. So in order... My favorite guys. I'll probably have a, a a small bet on all of them that I mention here. Probably four or five of them. Um, Ches Reevy, Corey Connors, Max Homa, and Joaquin Neiman. Um, and that'll probably be, you know like I say my top twenty and my first round leader probably come from the same bucket. So I'm not gonna have. Uh, a ton of money on on first round leader this week with only 78 players in the field the odds are not great um even on some of the lower guys that have a shot at, at first round leader but i do like those four guys that i just mentioned Reevy, connors homa and neiman to be first round leaders i'll probably have small bets on all four of those guys to lead after the first round and either top 10 or top 20 as for outrights they were tough this week. Um, absolutely locked in are Vic Hovland and Webb Simpson. Um, but from there, and since it's a small field and PGA Championships next week, I'm only going to go with four guys. I don't think anyone below Vic Hovland is going to win this tournament. Um, he's at, you know, around 30, 33 to 1. Um, some guys have a chance, obviously. I mean, Fleetwood's down there. Gary Woodland's down there. Patrick Reed's down there. I wouldn't be surprised. But my bets are going to come from Woodland, or excuse me, from Hovland or higher. So Hovland, Simpson, um, Morikawa, uh, I'm going to add there, and probably Xander. Those will be my four win bets. Um, they rank out, basically, aside from JT and Rory, they are at the top of, my, of the model that I created. Hovland, Morikawa, Morikawa, Xander, and Webb Simpson. I actually wish Hideki's odds were a little bit better. Um, he's currently just hovering around 30 to 1. If he was 40 or 45, which honestly I don't know why he isn't because of the way he's been playing, not not particularly great, 
I would um, pull the trigger on him as well. <clears throat> so those are the only four guys that I'm on. Um, Vic, Morikawa, Xander, and Webb. Um, I like a lot of other guys. Like, I love JT and Rory this week. I wouldn't be surprised if they win. Um, probably expecting them to win, actually. So if you actually want to, you know, save up your money this week and not, like, spread your bets all across um, five, six guys and just put everything on, you know, Rory and JT, I wouldn't mind doing that either. Or whoever your favorite is at the top, to be honest, just, you know, unloading. Obviously much riskier than spreading your bets across five, six guys. But uh, with the PGA Championship on deck and this small field, the odds aren't great. And, you know, it's just not one of my favorite tournaments to bet. But yeah, Hovland, Morikawa, Morikawa, why do I keep saying Morikawa? Morikawa, Xander, and Webb. Before we get out of here, I just want to touch on the Barracuda Championship. I'll probably actually have more fun watching the Barracuda than I will the St. Jude. Um, I like the format. If you don't know, it's a, it's a Stableford. They call it Modified Stableford Format. Basically, you get points instead of um, recording a, a strokes score. I believe it's five for an eagle, two for a birdie, uh, nothing for a par, and minus one for a bogey, minus two or three for a, a double or worse. So basically, what you want here, and, and like the the strategy completely changes, right? You are you're not lagging putts close. You're going over water on par fives, trying to um, you know make as many birdies and eagles as you can. So therefore. Uh, when I created the model for the Barracuda, I simply just looked at, um, you know, the the scoring numbers, opportunities gained, birdies are better gained, eagles gained, um, and then baked in a little bit of um, ball striking and form. And who comes out first? My man, Cam Davis. Talked about him for the last five weeks. He missed every friggin' cut. Last week, I finally don't bet him the top 20, and he does. Um, but I did have him on DraftKings. And he did help out a few lineups, so that was nice. But you know, never fails. So he will be. I'm actually going to take him to win this this Barracuda Championship. It is in Reno at the Tahoe Mountain Club. It's a par 71. It's usually a par 72, but you know, for the tour, they shortened it to a par 71. It's a Nicholas design. So from there, I will be looking at. Basically, I made another model, and if odds were decent, I am going to pull the trigger. So Cam Davis rated out number one in the model. He's 45 to 1. I'll be taking him. Sam Burns, eagle maker, um, in decent form. We'll be taking him as well. Um, so here's what the model looks like from 1 to um, 10. Cam Davis, Cam Percy, no thanks on him. Uh, Brendan Steele, he's probably got the best odds in the field, so... Probably not going to pull the trigger there. Burns comes in fourth. So Davis and Burns, I'll, I'll have a little bit of. Gooch is fifth, and we were all over Gooch last week, so it pains me to not go back to him. Um, but I feel like he's a bit more of, he, he's, an, he's a birdie maker, right? He rates out 13th in the field in birdies or better, but he's more of a guy that avoids bogeys, and we don't really need that in this tournament, right? With the way the scoring works, if a guy puts up 18 pars, he's getting zero points because pars are worth zero. If he puts up nine birdies and nine bogeys, in stroke play, he'd be even with the person that puts up 18 pars, but you're going to gain points there because eagles are worth more than bogeys. 
So you want guys that are just going to score despite um, a few bogeys here or there. So that's going to take me off Gooch. Um, Chess and Hadley, first in birdies or better gained. So I think Hadley is going to be someone that I have a little bit of. And then also Charlie Hoffman, a guy that we were all in on last week as well. So basically this is go back to the well week at the Barracuda um, with Cam Davis, Sam Burns, Justin Hadley, and Charlie Hoffman. All right, that'll do it for the Ride In DFS Embedding Podcast. Good luck at the FedEx St. Jude and at the Barracuda. You are listening to the Ride In NFL DFS Podcast with Pat James.